HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Radio and I'm Severin, your host, coming to you live from Slytherin Farm in the Hudson Valley of New York, sponsored this week and every week by Hearst Family Ranch, wonderful grass-fed beef for all. Um, and today I'm joined happily in this program about young farmers, for young farmers, and uh, by young farmers with uh, future farmer Amy Francescini, who um, is a gardener, not a farmer, but is farming the future in many ways. Um, as a conceptual and material and, well, she's an artist. She's a contemporary artist. And she is coming to me also from the Hudson Valley, although we are not in the same space. Amy, are you there? I'm here. Hello. Hello. Yesterday, Amy and I crossed sectors with each other by accident in a big, um, in a big, big valley. We happened to be driving cars at the same moment, um, and it was fabulous. So... Thank you so much, Amy, for being here today. You're very welcome. Amy, would you mind doing a little bit of better of a job of introducing yourself? <laughs> um, my name is Amy Franceschini. I am in, I'm from San Francisco. I'm an artist and an educator. Um, but currently I'm in Cherry Valley, New York, um, making painting signs for my friend who's getting married on, in two days. Um, a lot of the other farmers are joining us here in Cherry Valley for a couple of days for this wedding. Um, I'm part of a collective called Future Farmers. Um, it was started in 1995 um, with a true concern of the future of our food and the future of the whole industry of farming, um, but looking at it through a cultural lens and um, sort of applying the methodology of agriculture to an art practice. Um, and I'll kind of leave that open for interpretation, but... Um, we also have an artist-in-residency program. We've hosted 18 artists in the last 10 years who pretty much make up our collective. So um, a lot of them came as residents and we continue to work with several of them um, in different constellations depending on the different projects we're doing. And we'll pause for a big Cherry Valley trust to go by. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Amy, tell, tell us... Um, what, what constitutes a future farmer, and, and how, might, um, how might amateur practitioners um, farm the future? 
What is a future farmer? I think we're all future farmers. I think we all have to be future farmers and farmers in the future and now. Um, I think um, food is part of all of our daily lives, and I think art and culture art play a big part of that. And how do we beautify and rectify our everyday in a um, positive and healthy and sustaining way? Um, and that we all need to get involved in some way um, so that we're all cultural and food producers equally. Um, I think part of that is is a um, collective struggle <laughs> at this point. Um, it's not an easy um, get up. <laughs> as Severin would say. Um, but I think it's an exciting time because people like Severin and the Greenhorns and a lot of other people are taking on a challenge and a, and a um, collective effort in, in asking really important questions. Yeah, it seems like a lot of us are um, farming the future with our questions and then also st starting with our answers and saying, well, if the answer that I want is an edible future, how do I have to behave to make that a reality? And it feels like that, um, living that question seems to be a, um, seems to be a common theme in the conversations that I have with young farmers around the country is exactly those kind of meta goals and then on the ground the kind of logistics of the day to day that, that constitute progress towards that goal. So in that sense, what Amy's talking about, um, resonates really deeply with, um, the kind of cultural observations that I've been making in this, like, kind of study that I'm doing about the young farming movement. So it's wonderful. Um, it's wonderful to run into Amy, and it's wonderful to spend time um, on the side of a pond talking about our existential um, projections about the universe and, and photosynthesis. So um, <laughs> I think talk um, about, if you would, a little bit, the project that you're doing right now, if you, are you allowed to? Which one? There's so many. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the book project? The book project. Sure. Um, so I'm doing a book with a friend named Daniel Tucker, who's another amazing person you should interview. He's from Chicago. He does a um, quarterly newspaper called Area. Um, and he's a great writer and um, interviewer. So together we are profiling 20 small farms, farmers, across America. He's doing 10, I'm doing 10. And we chose them based on sort of three criteria. One was um, projects that have directly affected national or local policy, and that those farmers had that in their agenda from the get-go, that their project was part of an activist um, notion. And then the next criteria was people whose project affected national or local policy, but not that wasn't their initial outset. It's just by practice and by example, cities or, or um, national policymakers um, took them as an example and wrote legislation and applied um, their practice. And the third one is more a renegade um, criteria of people who are just kind of out there doing really radical practice, um, inventing new methodologies or inventing new tools for the farms that are, that are inspiring, for instance, um, some, some might seem really simple, but I think just the um, showing examples that are very simple that, that can exemplify potential within the practice of farming are really important because it is such a hard job. So um, Diggers Murph in, in Burlington, Vermont, which is within the Intervale Project, which is amazing, um, 
their big cash crop are, are greens, mixed field greens that they sell to restaurants, and that's sort of how they can survive and do farmers markets um, in in Burlington. But one of their big tasks was um, drying the greens enough so that they didn't rot, and so they've um, taken old washing machines and stripped down the whole exterior um, armature. So it's just the round, shaky part inside, and they put all their greens in there and spin the, um, just put it on spin cycle and dries the greens, or it um, kind of, what do you call it, spins the greens. Um, and they power that with a solar, solarly-powered battery. Um, so they have these three machines, and they're all mixing, and it's, it's pretty wonderful. And the whole green system is also a, um, gray water, all the water that they use, is rainwater captured, and then it goes back into a um, gray water system that feeds back into the farm. So it was just like a really beautiful feed, feedback loop. Um, and so this book is coming out in May 2010, and um, it's been an amazing project, and hopefully it will inspire a lot of people. Well, it's funny because those examples are terribly inspiring, and um, my question kind of is about um, how the avant-garde works in your opinion but like that example of the spin cycle is a lot of farms use uh, washing machines to dry their greens and um, we just got four washing machines donated to to do um, canning in and um, the girl who got them the caveat was that we can you know she's doing the Craigslist organizing and then in exchange she gets one of them to turn into a bicycle powered washing machine so it's like we are also kind of each time trying to evolve the model um, yeah. along our radical trajectory and, and are inspired by each other and riff off each other and then just keep, like, keep pushing, keep pushing um, further out along our own. And I uh, think, sorry, go ahead. I think, um, I just think there's a visually, I mean, I, a lot of these things I'm seeing as an, as an artist and I'm seeing them as these sort of potent visual examples of, of how we can, take something from our industrial past, like these top-loading washing machines, which are totally energy inefficient, and turn them into something efficient. And I think um, that pretty much every farmer I know has to do that um, in some way or another. And I think, I mean, I grew up on a farm, and my father, if something broke, we didn't buy something new. We had to reinvent or invent something to fix the problem. And... um, so I just, I just think the book is also a celebration of, of the role of a farmer and, and the many roles that a farmer has and the many hands and many tasks that they have to take care of. As, so not only as, create, as creators, but also as impro- improvisers and um, yeah. retrofitters. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think um, when I said I try to, try to take the sort of methodology or, methodology or ethos of farming into the art practice, it's pretty tough because when you do an art project, museums want to know what it's going to look like, what it's going to be made out of, how it's going to work, and so that they can talk about it. I mean, in general, they want to help you, so they want to know as much about it as possible. But I think the magic of making art is the improvisation, similarly, similarly to farming and the wonder. I mean, there's so much wonder in farming that in art is pretty hard to create. Um, and so I think try, what we're trying to do in our art practice is leave openness for that 
magic of improvisation, and, and I'm always inspired by um, farming and growing food, and, and it definitely is hard to translate into art, but that's a really great challenge for us. Well, challenges, challenges mark, um, mark much of what we have to look forward to in the, in the coming times and in the present times as well, um, and in all times. And in this moment in time, uh, we have to take a little break to announce once again that this is Greenhorns Radio. I'm your host, Severin, and I'm interviewing Amy Franceschini of the Future Farmers Collective. And we are sponsored by Hearst Ranch. We're on Heritage Radio Network every Thursday now at 2 p.m. It's our new time, 2 p.m. And go to music. talking about the challenges and we're talking about the improvisation, but we also have a lot of victory to celebrate and the victory of this year is that it's sunny it's sunny again and the plants are as a miracle reviving in my garden from moment to moment. Amy, tell us if you would a little bit about the victorious gardening experiences that you have um, in San Francisco and how those um, were made manifest on a political level. Um, so the Victory Garden Program was an amazing roller coaster ride that started in 2007, and it was, um, in short, that program was a utopian proposal as an art project to the city of San Francisco to begin to support backyard gardens and to reinvigorate the historical Victory Garden Program that happened in World War One and World War Two. Um, that included um, funding for support for backyard gardens. Um, replanting a garden in front of City Hall and having training um, training and workshops for current gardeners, um, as well as having an online registry for people to register their gardens and um, register their surplus food to trade. Um, but the project was really inspired by some time that I spent in Belgium, um, and I've told Severin this story several times, but I just think it's an interesting story. Um, so I spent summers there, and I was planting a super small garden. Literally, it was three cobblestones that I took out of the, out of the sidewalk um, and filled with dirt. Hang on. Um, and an old Flemish woman came by and started talking to me really loud in Flemish, and all I could understand was she kept saying, the stat, the stat, which means the city, and I thought, oh, shit, she's going to bust me for taking cobblestones out of the street because the town we live in, Ghent, is socialist and they have a lot of strict rules about um, public um, property. And then my husband came out and he was smiling. He's like, no, 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 no. She's telling you to save your receipts for your seeds and your soil to send to the city to get reimbursed. And I was like, what? That's crazy. And so they, she told me the name of the program, which was Babloomingsoxys, which means planting action in English. And it's a whole city-funded project where two times a year you can get money for planting up to 60 euro, um, and my neighbor 
planted a window box, and like four weeks later, she got a check in the mail, and she didn't even register it. She just, someone drove by from the city and saw that she had planted a window box and sent her money in the mail, um, which is pretty amazing. Um, and then also in, within that program, you can get 3,000 euro for putting a hole in your basement, a little window that bats can use to fly into so they can roost in your basement because the city sees them as a natural pesticide. Um, you can get 2,500 euro for putting a rainwater catchment system on your roof. And then if you put a green roof on, you can also get 3,000 euro. Um, and on their city website, it says, please become part of this project. Not only will our air be cleaner, but if we all have green roofs, Ghent will be a beautiful carpet of green when people fly over it. And I was just like, I can't believe a city website has this on their, on their, um, this language on their website. It's so positive and charming. And then if you go to most city websites in the U.S., they're very dry and kind of straight to the point. And, um, and I was kind of like, why can't our city be more exciting and fun and, and embody some of this? And so um, in 2007, when I was asked to be in a show at the Museum of Modern Art in San Francisco, um, I was sort of at a point where art making in a way that I had been doing seemed a bit... Um, self-serving in a way, and I was like, if I'm going to have a stage, which is the SF MoMA to stand on, how can this facilitate change or affect more people than just an art audience? Um, and so I used it as an opportunity to make a proposal to the city of San Francisco and to create a kind of suite of visual icons that um, would invite people, hang on, um, invite people in a playful way to take part in urban gardening and urban farming. And so um, I made several sculptures, a uh, bicycle barrel, which is a bicycle with a wheelbarrow attached to the front as a wheel that comes off and you can use it as a wheelbarrow, um, a pogo stick shovel, which is just sort of a playful sculpture, um, playful invitation to maybe something that's considered hard work. Um, and then I went to the city and proposed that they should fund a citywide program, and they said yes, yes, yes to everything. And it was kind of one of those moments where you're like, be careful what you wish for, because they were ready to go. So um, I partnered with the Garden for the Environment, which is a really amazing group in San Francisco on a really beautiful piece of land. And um, over the last two years, um, They've taken on the project and planted 15 test plot gardens, um, which were chosen through an application process, which was really amazing um, to receive like 365 applications and go through all of them and look at like, different varying, the varying needs of people in the city in terms of food production. Um, we narrowed it down to 30 and then interviewed those people. And the wonderful Brooke Budner, who maybe some of you know, um, was our victory gardener along with John Bella. Um, and so those 15 gardens were planted. And then Slow Food Nation was doing their annual um, festival in Civic Center. And they approached us and said, let's do a victory garden. And so without their funding, that would have never happened um, in the wonderful work of John Bella. Um, there was a garden in front of City Hall, which was a community of community gardeners. So it was several different garden projects. Um, hang on, tractors. Um, soon those will be bike powered, and we can all talk on the phone with, with 
without any noise, disruption. Um, but the, um, the garden was there for um, a little over four months and produced several hundred pounds of, of food that was given away to food banks. And, and it received a lot of press, which gave our program a lot of um, fuel and has gotten the city excited to continue to support a lot of the gardening programs. And I don't know if any of you have heard, but recently Mayor Newsom um, kind of made this public claim all of the offices in the city need to um, quantify their unused land, and that needs to be turned into food production zones. Um, so currently the Department of Park, Park and Recreation has over 78 unused plots of land um, that they want to become vital food production zones, which is pretty amazing. Um, so that's kind of that project. It's, it's such a fabulous example of the kind of political unfolding and kind of dilation that's happening now more and more frequently. The USDA food gardens um, being yet another example of, you know, pretty radical shifts, you know, from parking lot to community garden is a pretty radical shift of land use to happen overnight um, in the first week um, of an ag secretary's tenure. And yeah. it does seem like, you know, we, we we get lost in driving around the car and we see the cash for clunker signs everywhere yeah. and you know people in America right now are cashing in their old cars to get slightly more fuel efficient cars and um and that government program irks me a little bit but it also yeah. makes me realize that we may be entering a, a period in which um fabulously innovative and resourceful and kind of entrepreneurial policies um might be expected, and that it's our job to design them, and it's our job to get involved in making them happen. So the question to you, future farmer Amy, is how would you guide um, an aspiring um, political ninja to <laughs> voice their fantasies um, onto the political process? I think, um, I think like a really kind of dry but but serious way is to get to know your district supervisors, get involved, know who is making decisions about the exact place you're living in, and work up from there. Um, district supervisors, boards of supervisors, president of boards of supervisors, they don't have time for good ideas, and they're ready for them. Um, the other thing I think that is really important, and which Future Farmers addresses a lot in art and, and in these sort of more political projects, is the question of our future in terms of our liberties and what kinds of things we're willing to let go of and what sort of things we're willing to fight for, um, because I think in the, already we're having the question, for instance, I, Severin, you, we were talking about reciprocity yesterday, and I was thinking about, okay, what if there was a farmer's draft instead of, you know, military draft? Everybody had, I mean, we have to go do jury duty. What if we had to do so many hours on a farm? Are people going to consider that a, a loss of free time, a loss of liberty, or how do we frame that in such a way that it's a service that's benefiting everyone? And I would bet if, you know, all of us had to do a year of farm work, um, our lives would be really different. Um, but how do you, how do we balance pe different people's opinions of what is, um, a liberty and what is not 
Well, I would be happy if instead of and there being a draft, instead we could just have all the farmers get the kind of health care and benefits and insurance benefits and retirement benefits that firemen and soldiers get because it's very That's dangerous great. work um, farming, not quite as dangerous as when there's, um, you know, live weaponry pointed yeah. at you, but, um, you know, a lot of machines whirring around and the rate of on-the-farm injury is still quite high. Yeah. So, so yeah, my response would be... That would be, be a great step forward. Let's have, I mean, let's have health care for every farmer, and then people will sign up for the health care. And can we have health care for artists, too? <laughs> yeah, let's add artists to the equation. And that's, and that's one of the big points that I feel like is so wonderful in, in, in our time together, Amy, also, is realizing that this, you know, this revolution that's burbling up everywhere and that people are pointing at more and more, is it's not just a nutritional or an, or an ecological revival. It's also very much a social revival and um, a cultural revival. And we, as we become producers of food and, you know, t- tapping into the planet's productivity, um, we are also increasingly tapping into our own productivity and creativity and yeah. creating new cultural venues, new cultural institutions, you know, Amy makes these amazing installations, and she's being very modest, but if you go on her website, www.futurefarmers.org, you can go and look at some of these fabulous toys and um, iconic, monumental, and sometimes very disassemblable and useful things that are... The bummer um, is... The bummer is that it's futurefarmers.com because it was made so long ago that we didn't even know there of orgs or nets back then. It could have been .gov, but we didn't want that. Um, But I think... (laughs) I'm sorry. No, no. That's great. Um, But I think that it's... um, You're totally right. It's, It's a social, cultural, and political revolution intertwined and woven together and importantly woven together. Um, Yeah, there's a reason why people think about um, the um, hills and the mills and the fields and the the crops in in beautiful churches that are erected to hold community space. Those those things always fall together and so we shouldn't really be surprised but it is delightful and surprising when, when you figure out once again on the weekend or in the middle of the week um, how resonant um, those thoughts are with each other. Yeah. I think it's interesting, this artist um, in Germany who, I God, I can't remember her name right now, um, she came to my school and showed her work in class, but um, she was asked to do a project in an old Catholic church in the village where she grew up near Hamburg. And she proposed to take everything out and make it just a white space, including the um, stained glass window, like put the religious iconographic um, stained glass windows in the basement and just put clear windows in, take all the pews out, and just make it an empty space. And so she did that, and it was super controversial, And then, but the village got behind it, and they actually asked for money for the government to make that space and to not put anything back into it except for chairs and to make that a space of discussion about how to decommission churches <laughs> and how to to create a two-year discussion about what are aspects of the church that really benefit the community 
and to how to how to sort of redefine those in a contemporary context. And so, for the next two years, this church has become actually it's been going on for a year now, but it's just a place that anybody can use. They've they've come up with like ten criteria of of how it can be used as a as a as a city, and one of them is basically it's anybody can use it as a meeting place to think about how to better the, the, the environment of the city, politically, socially, environmentally. Um, but I just think, like, that's an example to me of a really important shift or just, like, a radical shift that you, especially in Europe, to think about transitioning a Catholic church in a small village into something else. Yeah, or if you're less radical than that and you don't have time to disinstall the windows, you may just want to charm the pastor into letting you use the kitchen to do your jams in because... Most churches have um, kitchens that have the capacity to be certified for um, small-scale processing. So, like yesterday, we just spent a whole day processing tomatillos and green tomatoes and um, peaches and plums. And um, Technically, we cannot sell that stuff because it's not safe, but if you do it in the basement of a church, um, chances are that church has either already done the paperwork or can easily do the paperwork to meet the the safety regulations. Um, nice. So that's a seasonally appropriate tip. Um, we yes. hope that you are enjoying um, this Greenhorns Radio, and we hope that you will continue to be a part of our network. I wanted to give Amy a last chance to plug any websites or contacts um, that are Greenhorns. to tell us about <laughs> it, Miss Amy. Um, I, I don't have any plugs. I would just say um, keep in touch with us on Future Farmers. We try to keep our news up to date. Um, also, our collective kind of database, our psyche is free-soil.org. It's a list of projects that inspire us, and sometimes we just, anytime we're researching, we just post everything we're researching, so it's kind of our public archive. So check that out. And big love to Severin, and thank you for all the wonderful work you're doing. Thank you, Amy, for being with us, and thank you all for listening. This is Greenhorns Radio. I'm Severin. We're here from now on every Thursday at 2 p.m. I wanted to make sure to announce our upcoming exciting schedule of events. Um, The first event is August 29th and 30th, Farm Weekend. It's a two-day party, camp out, and workshop extravaganza called Watermelon Moonshine, and the Rude Mechanical Orchestra will be playing. We will be doing wonderful workshops with spinning and pickling and um, farm marketing and beekeeping and seed saving. I'm all, those are the six workshops. You should bring a tent and you should RSVP if you can because transportation sharing is encouraged. We also have um, a farm bike tour in Missouri coming up um, before Farm Aid. If you are in the Midwest listening, listening now or know people in the Midwest who ought to be listening now, um, please connect us with them and then with us. We would love to have an irresistible fleet um, of quite substantial size when we bicycle across um, farm country and suburbia into St. Louis, Missouri, um, which is the headquarters of Monsanto, and to celebrate um, the irresistible force of our intentions and of our size as they exert themselves against um, the tarmac. And we also have an event in Monticello, in uh, Virginia, a seed-saving event. We're going to be making seed balls on um, Jefferson's farm. And then afterwards, um, a young farmer mixer with beer and dancing in the 
um, right near right near Monticello. So many, many things and always more because we can't help ourselves. It's too much fun. www.thegreenhorns.net. Check out our blog. It's where everything active is always being posted constantly, always, all this time. And thank you so much for joining us today. See you next week. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.